Corner River Church. How we doing? All right. I am happy to be here with you today uh, as we continue in our series, uh, What's Love Got to Do With It? Uh, walking through uh, this beautiful book, Song of, Song of Songs. And so uh, we've been spending the last few weeks talking about uh, what intimacy can and should look like uh, in the marriage relationship. And Again, I have to give my disclaimers every week. I know that in church we get uncomfortable uh, when we say the word sex, okay? Um, but it's in the Bible. We're going to talk about it. And uh, what we're seeing here is, is beautiful in Song of Songs because it's a beautiful picture of God's intention for that in our lives as Christians. And, and if you're new here with us again, Song of Songs is basically a poem that you see written between uh, two people or a song written by King Solomon uh, to his love. Uh, and they talk about the love that they have for one another, another how they feel about one another. And it's a, it's a beautiful book uh, in the scriptures. And so if you've been with us, uh, week one, we talked a lot about really what was the foundations of of their relationships. As a matter of fact, we called weeks one and two uh, the foundations, right? Because it was the foundation really for their love and their commitment to one another. And as we saw, uh, they're really kind of dating or courting. I don't know how they did it back then, but they weren't quite married yet. And so it was this picture in chapters one and two of what their relationship looked like, the foundations it was built on, uh, what made it strong. And it was this beautiful picture of them valuing one another, seeing the best and one another, even when the best isn't always there to see, amen, right? Seeing the best in one another, uh, being vulnerable with one another, serving one another, and seeing one another and responding to one another. And it's, it's, it's this beautiful picture of what a godly relationship can look like. And, and now as we head into week three, we see them get married. What, what? Woo! be some celebrations there, right? Now, here's my disclaimer for any kiddos in the room again. Uh, Song of Solomon is not G-rated, okay? Here's my warning. This is the least G-rated of all of the weeks, okay? So if you're, maybe you're 45, but you got a PG, right? You can't handle PG-13, you might need to go to the youth ministry today, okay? All right? All right, um, today's going to be the most PG-13 of all the talks. Now, we're not going to hit R, even though Song of Song is pretty, it's pretty intense, right? We're going to stay PG-13, PG, but I want to warn you, because today what we're going to look, look at is the, their wedding night. So we're going to see the, the wedding, we're going to kind of move past the wedding, because it just says, hey, they got married. We're going to move past that, we're going to look at the wedding night, and they're going to paint this picture for us of what godly sex can look like. Now, it may not be what you preconceive. It may not be what you think about when you think about this idea in the church and the Bible of all things talking about it. But we're going to walk through it. We're going to see uh, what we can learn from them. So I'm going to read actually just quickly chapter 3, 9 through 11, where you can see that this is the wedding. We're going to look at it and then move right past it onto the wedding night, all right? It says, verse 9, King Solomon made a carriage for himself with wood from Lebanon. He made its post with silver its backs of gold, and its seats of purple. And the interior was inlaid with love. All right, right? See that poetry there? Um, inlaid with love. Um, some of you are like, keep the love. I want this gold and silver, baby, right? Let's go. Uh, he says, uh, 
by the young women of Jerusalem. Verse 11, go out, young women of Zion, and gaze at King Solomon. So she's been waiting on him, right? If you remember last week, she'd been waiting on him. He took her on this date. So now she's waiting for him to come back for the wedding. So they're saying, hey, go out. Here he comes. It's time for the wedding. Here he comes. Go out, uh, young women of Zion, and gaze at King Solomon, wearing the crown his mother placed on him on his wedding day, the day of his heart's Rejoicing. So all this time, chapters 1 and chapters 2 has all been building up to this, the wedding day. They get married. They have this beautiful uh, wedding, I can imagine, right? And then, as, it's funny because it's it true to form, and I think I mentioned this last week. Somebody told me Song of Songs is a book you can definitely tell was written by a man, right? Not a woman. Because here it is, chapters 1 and 2 is all them speaking sweet nothings to one another, wooing one another. And then chapter 3, Solomon's like, we got married. And then it moves on. There's like one verse there, and then there's a whole chapter devoted to the wedding night, right? Right? Again, written by a man, okay? So here we go. So imagine they just have this beautiful party, this wonderful wedding. They sing, they dance, they eat good food, they drink good drink, they celebrate with their loved ones, they go back to the castle, and everybody's getting nervous, you should be, because it's going to get intense, they go back to the castle, and she gets ready, and Solomon gets ready for her, and for him, for him to see her, in quotation marks, for the first time. Now, I don't necessarily want you to be imagining this in your head, okay, but we're going to talk about it. Gets ready to see her for the first time, and if you can't imagine She's waiting for him. He walks in the room. He's alone with her for the first time since they're officially husband and wife. He looks on his wife, and as you'll see as I read the description, Solomon is absolutely amazed at what he sees. Now remember, men are visual. Amen? Men are visual, and so he looks at her as the first time met his wife on their wedding night. He looks at her. And he just begins to compliment her from head to toe. Now, if you've been with us uh, for the first two weeks, the woman has actually, in the story, been speaking for 75% of the time. I was making no comment on that. I was just saying, she's been speaking for 75% of the time. Jeez. Um, but then, he sees her naked. And Solomon talks for 15 straight verses, okay? Here we go, right? <laughs> Just like a man. Look, here we are at verse, chapter 4, verse 1. He sees her for the first time as his wife. And he says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How very beautiful. How very beautiful behind your veil, your eyes are doves. Remember we talked about in week 1, the eyes were uh, of the, the rabbis taught a window into the soul. So he's saying, you're beautiful. I see you on the outside and your beauty on the outside. But even as I'm complimenting your beauty on the outside, I want to remind you, honey, that it's your soul that I love more than anything. You see that? So how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes uh, are behind your veil are like doves. And he's saying, your soul is beautiful. Then he moves on. He says, your hair is like a flock of goats streaming down Mount Gilead. Ooh, Right? All the ladies are like, wow, Solomon, right? You say, what is that? He needs some better pickup lines. Well, Mount Gilead was this big mountain that was uh, known. You could see it from the distance. And one thing it was known for is you'd have these big flocks of goats. Right? So you're like, like the last thing you want your uh, husband to say to you, right, as a wife is, girl, your, your hair is like goat hair, man. Ooh, right? 
disciples. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you'd see these mountains and you see these, these flocks of goats run down the mountainsides and so it almost would look like a river as, they would, as you could picture being far away and seeing this herd of goats just flowing down the mountain. It was kind of this beautiful sight. And what he's saying is really he's saying she's let her hair down for the first time. So she's taking her hair down and she's doing one of these and he's seeing her hair and he's going, oh man, your hair is like a flock of goats running down Mount Gilead, right? So he's, he's getting excited is what's happening, okay? And then he says, here's the one you'll love, verse 2, your teeth are like a flock of newly born sheep, shorn sheep, coming up from washing, each one bearing twins. And here's the best line, and none has lost its young, Right? What he said there is, baby, you got all your teeth, right? Which leaves me open for a lot of jokes, right? I could be like, you could tell she wasn't from Alabama, or I could say she wasn't from Arkansas. I could make those jokes. I'm not going to, but you could, right? You could. Not going to do that, but I could. He says, you got all your teeth. Verse 3, she says, your li-, he says to her, your lips are like a scarlet cord. Your mouth is lovely. Behind your veil, your brows are like a slice of pomegranate. <laughs> pomegranate is an aphrodisiac, or considered an aphrodisiac at the time. So what he's saying is your lips are beautiful. Your mouth is beautiful. Girl, your smile to me is like an aphrodisiac. It's beautiful to me. And then he says, verse 4, your neck is like the Tower of David. I know, he's like, dude, this guy. All right, come on. Although we laugh, we laugh at their pickup lines, but if they looked at our pickup lines today, they'd probably be making the same jokes, right? He says, your neck is like the Tower of David, constructed in layers. A thousand shields are hung on it, all all of them shields of warriors. I'm sorry I'm laughing, but this is funny, right? The Tower of David, I know I'm explaining as we're walking through. The Tower of David was, uh, you know, King David, right? Somebody mighty and respected. And the Tower of David was a place of great honor, and great respect. And what he's saying to her is, honey, when I look at you, the way you walk, your neck, you, the way you stand up straight, the way you walk, the way you carry yourself, you carry yourself with dignity. You carry yourself with respect. You carry yourself with honor. And so he's saying, when I look at you, I see a woman, not just of beauty, but I see a, a woman of honor and dignity and respect. You hear that now, you're like, okay, all right, Solomon. The pickup lines are working a little better now, right? Uh, he's, so he's complimenting not just her looks, but who she is. And then in verse 5, he says, your breasts are like two fawns. Y'all don't laugh at that one? All the other ones, you're like, Coward David, you're like, ha ha, breasts two fawns. We can't laugh. He said breasts in church, right? Twins of a gazelle that feed among the lilies. And I don't, I don't need to explain that one for you. He likes the fawns, okay? We'll move on. Verse 6, until the day breaks and the shadow flees, I will make my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hills of frankincense. He's saying, honey, I want to be intimate with you all night long till the sun comes up. Verse 7, you are beautiful, my darling. There is no imperfection in you. That's good, isn't it? That last line, you are beautiful, my darling. There is no imperfection in you. Now, the first thing I want to say to us this morning as we look at this idea of godly sex and what the Bible says sex should be and can be uh, for, for a husband and wife is we hear that list that Solomon, as he sees his wife naked for the first time wearing basically nothing but a veil and jewelry, and I'm not trying to be inappropriate, I'm just telling you what it is, uh, he sees her and he begins to compliment her head to toe. And he looks on her and he compliments her beauty, he compliments who she is, he compliments her value, he compliments the way that she carries him herself. And the first thing I want to tell you about godly sex, the picture of sex in the scriptures, is that godly sex is 
affirming. Godly sex is affirming. What's the first thing he does when he sees her? He begins, again, remember, men are visual. He begins to compliment her, tell her how beautiful she is, how great she is, right? It's like Adam when he saw Eve for the first time. You ever read that? Like you walk through and he's like naming the animals. He's like, you're a goat, you're a bear, you're a sheep. And he's just naming them. Then he sees Eve and she's naked and he starts singing. You know what I'm saying? He starts singing a song. Right? It's the same picture. He sees her, and he just can't help but affirm her and tell how beautiful she is, how wonderful she is. He begins to affirm every part of her, who she is. And if you remember all the way back in week one, the first thing we hear her say, or one of the first things we hear her say is, don't look at me because I haven't cared for my vineyard. And what she's talking about is herself. She doesn't want him to look on her because she's saying, I don't feel, I feel unattractive. I feel ugly. Don't, don't look at me. I haven't cared for myself. Yet he looks at her and he says, you are perfect. Now, was she? Was she? Probably not. What? Probably not. But to him, he was. You catch that? To him, he, she was, because godly sex is affirming what we're looking at. Sorry. I said sex one too many times in church. He looks on her, and she's his girl. And everything he sees about her and sees in her is beautiful to him. Why? Because she was perfect? No, because she was his. And here's the thing I want us to understand that when it comes to husband and wife and a marriage relationship and sex, and that is when you get married, when you look on that person, when you see every part of who they are, they are now your new standard of beauty. You catch that? They are now your new standard of what beautiful should be, what beautiful looks like. And he looks at her and he says, everything about you is perfect because godly sex is affirming. She's his one forever. And he, she, takes, she looks at her and he says, wow, I can't believe you're mine. And I bet that made her feel pretty great. And what I want to say to us today, just on that, before we move on, is husbands, wives, how do your spouse how do they feel based on your words towards them? Do your words affirm them? Do they make them feel good about themselves when it comes to that area? Or do we make them feel bad about themselves when it comes to that area? He sees her naked for the first time. He goes, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I get to be married to that. Now when you see your spouse naked, you go, I can't believe I'm married to that. There's a difference. There's a difference. And notice, he hadn't even touched her yet. All he's doing is looking at her and going, oh my goodness, I'm a lucky man. Godly sex is affirming, River Church. Psalm moves on, 4, 8 through 10. He says, come uh, with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. So he's, he's saying, let's leave this place and let's go uh, to basically our home. Descend from the peak of Amana and the summit of Sinair and Hermon. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you don't know if I am either, right? Uh, from the dens of the lions, from the mountains of the leopards, Verse 9, you have captured my heart. My sister, my bride, you have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes, with the jewel of your necklace. How delightful are your caresses uh, are, my sister, my bride. Your caresses are much better than wine, and the fragrance of your perfume than any 
false psalm. Now he begins to compliment her, tell her how he's in love with her, how just looking at him, she's captured his heart. But did you catch that one phrase in there? He says, uh, he says, how beautiful you are, my sister, my bride. And you're like, sister, what kind of church is this, right? Like, where are we going here, right? He's not calling her his actual sister. Sister in this particular meaning is a sense of affection and deep friendship. So what he's saying to her is he's saying, come with me, I want to be with you tonight is he's saying what we have is not just a sexual thing what we have is not just a physical thing what we have with one another is a deep friendship it's an emotional connection it's something beyond just the physical the physical helps it makes it better and connects it but it's something even bigger and beyond that it's an emotional and a soul connection the second thing i want you to know about godly sex is that godly sex creates an emotional connection between two people it takes two people and it goes beyond the physical and it connects them together on not just a physical level but on an emotional and in a lot of ways a spiritual level. You need it, one another. It connects you together emotionally as well as physically. Everybody said amen. Amen. Now the fun starts. You're like, we're not having fun yet? Now the fun starts. 11 he says so they've gone away and now they're about to kiss he says your lips drip sweetness like the honeycomb my bride honey and milk are under your tongue the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon do you guys know what they just described there did you catch that he said there's honey under your tongue how does he know ladies and gentlemen that was, they just described the first French kiss did you see that like the French stole it Right? That would, that's a Hebrew kiss, not the French kiss. You got it? Right? Like, there's a French kissing in the Bible. You're like, that's in there. Yeah, it's in the Bible, right? He goes and he gives a big old French kiss, and he says, ooh, baby, I like the way you taste, right? I like the way you taste. Here's the third thing we've got to understand about godly sex, and this is where, again, we're like, is this, you don't have to say this? Godly sex is passionate, River Church. And all the men should have been like, Amen! four of you. I feel sorry for your wives. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, when it comes to sex, and we talk about it in church, and I know I'm joking around a lot, but we, we oftentimes think about Christians and sex. We think of, like, dull. We think boring. We think it's not like, like, hey, listen, we're going to talk about it in church, and we'll talk about sex, but here's the thing is you can only do it if you're trying to have kids, and even then you better not enjoy it, right? Right? Come on, let's be honest. That's the way it's looked at. But Song of Solomon's, the Song of Song is giving us the exact opposite picture of that. He's just like, I French kissed her and it tasted good. Right? Verse 6, I mean, come on, what did I just say? In verse 6, he says, I want to be with you intimately until the sun comes up. That ain't playing around, ladies and gentlemen. You see it? That ain't no joke, right? When's the last time you saw the sun come up, right? It's been a while, right? Last week, she told him to come explore the mountains, and she wasn't talking about the Rockies, right? <laughs> Solomon is literally, they're singing a song about how wonderful this is. Uh, verses 12 through 15, he's going to describe her more intimately and talk about how he can't wait to enjoy her physically. It's passionate, River, passionate River Church. Like, I'm not trying to be, like, literally, I promise you, I've been praying about this. I was like, Lord, please help me to not be inappropriate in this place. And I'm sorry if I am, but I, you know, it's, it's an interesting topic, right? 
I'm not trying to make us red-faced in here. What I am trying to help us understand <laughs> is that there's passion here. Song of Songs is describing a deeply passionate relationship. And not only is it okay for you to feel some passion uh, in your uh, intimate relationship with your husband or spouse, but that's the way God designed you to work. You see that? Like, when you see her and you start feeling sparks, that's the way God made you. Thank you, brother. And that's a good thing, right? Like, if you saw your wife and like, meh, and moved on, And I'm not talking about anything inappropriate. I'm just talking about seeing. Like, I look at my wife, Katie, and I'm just like, lucky man right here, right? You should feel that way. You, that's the way God designed you. It is a good thing. He, his passion is it's supposed to be there, ladies and gentlemen. It's supposed to be there, right? Now, let's be honest. After a few years, it's harder to come by, isn't it? Everybody's afraid to amen that one, right? You're like, uh-uh, it's still there, man. Still there, right? Schedules get busy. You get used to each other. Kids take up a lot of time and energy. As a man with a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a three-month-old, all I can say is amen from the stage, right? Like, forget that. I don't have time to do my laundry. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's busy. But God designed us and created us that sex would be a passionate, beautiful thing that we have with one another. But the truth is, is after a while it takes some work, doesn't it? After a while it takes some work. Now you can try to trick your spouse into it. Let me give you some tips, and I'm about to embarrass somebody, I'm sorry. But uh, last week I was talking about this wonderful idea uh, where she said, hey, bring out the raisins and uh, the apricots because I want to be with you all night long. And I said, man, apricots are uh, aphrodisiac. Well, later that night, I had somebody say, now I know my wife's been feeding me that apricot jelly every morning. Try it out. Maybe it'll work, right? Maybe it'll work. Don't do that. I mean, you can't. I'm not, I'm not giving you advice there, okay? I'm not telling you what to do. Um, sometimes it can be harder to come by, but it takes intentionality, doesn't it? It takes effort, doesn't it? You've got to try, right? Not like the honeymooning. We've got to try and plan some date nights, amen? All the women said, Amen. Plan a date night for me, boy. Take me out for dinner, right? Let's go, right? How about this? Communicate about it. Make it a priority, right? Make it a priority. Hey, let's, let's make some time for this. Let's prioritize this. Because I described earlier, right, it's a place of affirmation. It's a good place for you to feel affirmed by your spouse. It's a good place to create an emotional connection with your spouse, right? It's a good place to be passionate with your spouse. But you've got to work on the passion sometimes. You've got to work on planning it and uh, and creating a space for it, prioritizing it, right? And so uh, here's the deal is when the passion begins to wane, sometimes it can be easy for us to get in the grass is green on the other side, doesn't it? We begin to look at other people's relationships or we begin to see other people. We go, I wish my spouse was more like that. I wish my spouse did this. I wish our relationship was more like that. And you begin looking at the grass is greener on the other side and you begin to ignore your spouse, get bitter towards your spouse, get frustrated with your spouse. And you're looking over here going, I wish they were like this. I wish they were like that. But here's the best advice I can give you today, River Church. I, I heard this a while back. It's always stuck with me. It's not that the grass is greener on the other side. It's that the grass is greener where you water it grass is greener where you water it. So maybe if the passion is waning, you're going, why? Maybe you got to communicate. Maybe you got to set up some date nights. Maybe you got to have some intentional conversations about, hey, let's 
let's talk here. How can we work on this? How can we get this back? And don't be defensive because it's, look, let's be honest. This is, you talk, you think it's hard to talk about it from a stage in church. It's hard to talk about with your spouse, isn't it? It's hard to talk about with your spouse. So don't be defensive, but be willing to be honest and open and say, hey, how can we work on bringing the passion back into this thing? What can we do? We need to plan some date nights. What, do we need to communicate? Do we need to connect emotionally a little bit better? What do, do we need to affirm? How, how can we work on this? But here's the deal is that godly sex, God created you to feel passion towards your spouse. That is a good, beautiful, and wonderful thing, but sometimes you've got to cultivate it a little bit, okay? You've got to cultivate it. So cultivate the passion. Number four, godly sex is choosing to give yourself to the other person. Godly sex is choosing to give yourself to the other person. Song, uh, Song of Songs 4, 12 through 16, he says, my sister, my bride. So he just gave her a big old kiss, and he says, my sister, my bride, you are a locked garden, a locked garden and a sealed spring. And then he begins to describe what the garden looks like. He says, your branches are a paradise of pomegranates with choicest fruit, right? Henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon. And I don't know all that stuff is, but it sounds good, right? Uh, Nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes and all the best spices. He's saying, I'm looking in the garden. It's got all the good stuff. You are a garden spring, a well of flowing water streaming from Lebanon. (laughs) Remember I mentioned earlier uh, the idea that she had described herself as a vineyard in chapter one. Remember that? She said, I, my, I have not kept my vineyard. Don't look at me. And then he, he affirms her and he values her. And at the end of it, she says, I, man, I feel like a beautiful flower now based on how you affirm me and made me feel in essence because of you, I feel beautiful. And so that was week one. Then last week she asked him as she's saying all these things, you're this to me, you're that to me, you, right, you make me feel this way. And then at the end of it, she says, will you protect the vineyard from the foxes? She's again describing their relationship, but also herself. She's saying, will you protect me from danger? Will you protect me from the foxes? And now he kind of keeps in line with that idea. He doesn't call her a vineyard, but he calls her a garden. He says, the garden is locked. I'm looking at you, and the garden is locked. And he says, what I see inside the garden looks amazing, and I'm not going to describe what he described, because that's R-rated. Okay, we're staying PG-13 here. But he says, what I see inside the garden looks beautiful, and what he's essentially saying is, hey, we haven't had sex yet. Because you've, you've waited until marriage, and now he's looking at her and saying, the garden is locked. Can we do this? I know that's very blunt. You're like, that's not romantic. I'm just telling you, right? I'm trying to break it down for you. And if you remember last week, there was a point where she began to have all these sensual feelings for him. And she began to, she, and I was joking about the raisins and the apricots, but she's literally like, man, I want to get out the aphrodisiacs, but I want to I wanna be intimate with you. And, and, but as she's saying that right after that, she says, but do not, but we must not awaken love before it's time. We must not awaken love before it's time. And so what she's saying is, even though I'm having all these feelings towards you, I'm going to restrain myself because I don't want to have sex with you until the right time, before the right time. So she's saying, I'm not going to awaken love before the right time. Okay. Here's the reason I give you that context is he looks at her and he says, you're a locked garden. What looks, what's inside is wonderful. I would love to awaken love. Can we do this? And verse 16 was probably the most beautiful word he had ever heard in his life. Awaken, he says. North wind comes, south wind, blow on my garden. I know y'all are getting embarrassed. And spread the fragrance of its spices. 
But this is actually my favorite verse in all this chapter right here. Let my love come to his garden and eat its choicest fruit. All throughout, she's described it as her vineyard. Will you protect my vineyard? Will you, uh, my vineyard, you know, don't, don't look on me. I haven't cared for my vineyard, right? Protect my vineyard. Here he says, you are a locked garden. And here she says, as they're about to enter into the covenant of a sexual relationship, she says, come enjoy your garden catch that? It's kind of cool. Because what she's saying to him is, it's time to awaken that love. Let's enter into this relationship. And now I am choosing to give myself to you. And you are choosing to give yourself to me. What she's saying is, I am now yours and you are mine. It is a total, beautiful giving of one another, giving to one another, mind, body, and soul. She's saying, I am wholly yours, and you are wholly mine. And it is this absolutely beautiful thing. You see that? Isn't that cool? Amen. Last thing. Godly sex is not just two people giving themselves to one another. Number five. Godly sex is good. And I'm not just saying, so godly sex is good sex. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I mean, I should be. But I'm saying godly sex is good. Look at this. And this one will, this one's a little funny. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. This is where they end it. He says, I've come to my garden, my sister, my bride. So he's saying, it's, you're mine now, and I'm yours. I gather with myrrh my spices. I eat my honeycomb with honey. I drink my wine with milk. And so he's, He's saying we've been intimate together. And then there's this person that speaks they call the narrator. And there's a lot of different ideas on who the narrator is. Um, but what I was reading, kind of a consensus of the, some of the theologians I was looking at this week, they all believe a similar thing that I, I take this to mean this as well, is that they believe the narrator is God speaking into this relationship. And so here he comes and he says, basically the husband says, can we— have this intimate sexual relationship. She says, come on, let's enjoy one another. Let's give ourselves to one another. He says, we did it. It was great. And then the narrator speaks and says, eat, friends. Drink. Be intoxicated with caresses. Eat. Drink. Be intoxicated with caresses. That word there, caresses, if you, if some translate it as love. It's a physical idea. It's a physical Love And the idea is that this narrator, which I believe to be God, is speaking approval over them, what they are doing, how they have entered in this covenant together, and saying it is good, it is wonderful, it is to be enjoyed. And I know that we don't like saying the word intoxicated in church, but he literally said be intoxicated with one another's love. Essentially what he's saying is wholly enjoy one another physically because it is good. And everybody said, amen. You say, why you, why you bring that one up? Well, I was talking with somebody a few weeks ago, and I, get, I did get permission to share this story with you. I was talking with somebody a few weeks ago, and this person said, you know, I'm really glad, I'm really glad that we're talking about Song of Songs and, and this sex, the sex in church. That because when I got married, me and my spouse, we waited, uh, we both didn't have sex before we got married, we waited 
week. And, but even on that wedding night, even though we had sex, it was the first time that we did. On my wedding night, we had sex with one another. And afterwards, I felt ashamed. I felt awful. I said, why? Because of how I was brought up in church, how I was raised around it, how it was looked on, even though we did it, quote-unquote, the right way, I still felt guilty about it. That stinks, doesn't it? harping on this because I want us to understand and I know I'm joking about it, making light on it because I want us all to chill out a little bit about this. <laughs> and I want us to understand that for two Christians who enter into a marriage relationship with one another, sex should never be a place of guilt for you. It shouldn't. It should be a place of freedom to enjoy your spouse. It should be a place of love and intimacy and it should be good. And of all people, <laughs> this is going to be funny to say it this way, but of all people in the world who enjoy sex, Christians should enjoy it the most. I mean, are there no Christians in here? Right? If I was in the crowd, I'd be like, yeah, brother! Right? Why? Because we have a creator who designed us the way we are to work, designed us the way we are to feel about one another, designed the covenantal marriage relationship for us to enter into and created this thing called sex for us to come and enjoy and one another, that it would be good. That it would be good. And, and so we of all people, because we know the Creator, uh, and I know this is a funny way to look at it, but because we know the Creator, because we know the one who made it, we should be able to enjoy it, find freedom in it, and find love and intimacy in it with our spouses more than anybody. Because we should understand the purity of it. We should understand the beauty of it. And as the world perverts it, as the world messes it up, as the world makes it something that it's not, we have the beauty of a creator who redeems it. And regardless of your history before you got married, regardless of the mistakes you've made, regardless of what you've done before, you can enter into a relationship where you have a Savior who can redeem it, sanctify it, purify it for you, and make it good. Because it's not a place of guilt. It's not a place of shame. It's a place of beauty. It is a gift from the Creator to you to enjoy with your spouse. Like, he could have, he could have helped us reproduce anyway. Anyway, right? He chose this way. Praise God. Amen? Amen. So how do we apply this today? What do we do with this today? Um, I'll quote this scripture. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. But seriously, enjoy the gift that God has given to us in its right context. Sex between uh, a married couple uh, should be affirming. It should create an emotional connection between you two. It should be a place of passion. That's good. It should be a place of two people choosing to give themselves to one another. Choosing to give themselves to one another. And it should be good. You say, well, what if it hadn't been so good? And you got to communicate. And that's where it gets hard. You got to communicate, and, and it's not—it's not like an upward trajectory. I mean, there's ups and downs, right? There's ups and downs, right? So just because you may be in a down season, that doesn't mean everything's ruined and bad. You just got to communicate and work to make it healthy and good again. We've got to communicate in a healthy manner. How can we work on this? How can we connect? Maybe we should pray together about this. Do not hear me, especially men. Do not use this as a place of guilt. Or a place to shame your spouse and say, well, you should be doing this. No, no, no. You shouldn't. 
You should be talking about it and communicating about it. Don't use guilt as a tool to get what you want. Do not demand as if your spouse owes you anything. They do not. But you must communicate about it. Talk honestly about you, how you feel. Talk honestly about um, maybe the, the disconnect that might be there. And do the best that you can to take steps to move towards a passionate and beautiful intimacy with one another again. Amen? All right. Stand up with me, River Church. Let's pray. It's a fun one today, huh? God, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're a good God that created this this sex. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's not a shameful thing. It's not a a thing of guilt. It's a beautiful gift that you've given to your creation. Help us to enjoy it in its right context, in its right manner and way. Help it to be a place of affirmation, a place of connection, uh, a a place um, to people giving themselves to one another. Help it to be a place of passion, that it would be a good blessing. Be a good blessing. God, I pray for all, any, maybe spouses in here who, maybe it's been a difficult thing. Maybe they're in a difficult season, or maybe there's a disconnect, or they're missing a connection, or there's, maybe it's something, maybe it's just been hard, and that's, sometimes it just is. I pray for healing there today. I pray for hope there today. I pray for connection there today. I pray for open and honest conversation there. I pray that you would remove guilt. I pray that you would remove shame. Maybe there's people in here who are dealing with their past in that in that context, and so they bring that into their relationship today, and they struggle with that. I pray that you would set them free of that today by the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would redeem that. You would sanctify that in them. That they would be set free to love one another in, in, in freedom and goodness and joy. I just pray that wherever, maybe it's a single person who that's been a, something difficult in the past and they're looking forward to, to walking in marriage again where they can enjoy that. I pray that you would bless that and bring them to, that to them in a way that they could enjoy it and find happiness. I don't know. Whatever, whatever it is we need in here today, based when it comes to that, I just pray that you would provide it for us. We need you. We love you. You're good to us. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, 